Good afternoon. So good to see you guys. Uh, as Linda had mentioned, we're starting a new series today. Uh, it actually kicked off with Easter uh, when we talked about uh, the resurrection. And we're going to be looking at living the resurrected life. And uh, it's based on this passage, uh, this verse in John chapter 11, verse 25, where Jesus is speaking to Martha. And this is right after uh, Jesus found out that uh, Martha's brother Lazarus had died. And then he says this. He says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Okay, so he's speaking to Martha, uh, knowing that her brother has just died. But then he says to her, but I am the resurrection and the life, that he who believes in me will live even though they die. So when we look at this verse, I think there's a couple things that kind of stand out. Is One is that when we think about living the resurrected life, we're living the life of Christ. We're living his life, that he is the resurrection. So when we think about the series that we're going through, that's the kind of life that we're trying to aim for. We're trying to live the life that Jesus lived, the life that's full of fullness and life and power and all of those things. That's the kind of life that he's inviting us to. That's the kind of life that we have in Christ. So when we think about the resurrection life, that's the first thing we want to see is that we're trying to emulate and experience Jesus's life. The second thing is what we mentioned last week during Easter, that before resurrection, there's a death, right? That you don't, uh, you can't experience a resurrection of something that's not dead. The very definition of resurrection is that death precedes resurrection. Okay, so when we start out this series, we're actually going to start out with looking at Jesus's death. Okay, so let's look at this diagram here that talks about Jesus' death, okay? And when we look at this diagram, there's two aspects of what Jesus' death accomplished, okay? The first one on the top is substitution, okay? And this is the one that we commonly think of when we think about Jesus' death, that Jesus died instead of us. He died and he took the penalty that we were supposed to have received because of our own sin, that Jesus took that penalty upon himself, that he took the penalty of death, that death was supposed to be of ours. He died as our substitute. He died instead of us. Okay, and when we experience the gospel or hear about the gospel or receive Christ, this is usually the message that we hear, that Jesus died for our sins, that he died for, for us personally. But the part that we don't hear very often, in fact, I never heard it. I never heard about the second aspect of Jesus' death at all. When I accepted Jesus uh, as my Lord and Savior, I never heard about the second part. Whenever I've heard the gospel, I've never heard about the second part. Whenever I've shared the gospel for the majority of my Christian life, I never shared about the second part. But I think it's the second part that really is the key for resurrection life. So the first part, that Jesus died as our substitute. The second part is that not only did he die as our substitute, but he also died um, with us. Inclusion. Okay, so there's a substitution and there's an inclusion with Jesus' death. Okay, so where do we see that? We see that in many places, but we'll look at it in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 verse 5 says, if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. 
Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Okay, Romans 6, verses 5 and 6 say it very plainly. Not did only did Jesus die instead of us, he died with us. He included us in his death. That when you accept the death and the resurrection of Jesus, you're accepting both parts. And now you're accepting the part where he died instead of us, that he paid the penalty for our sins, but he also included us in his death. Okay, this is something that I don't think that we think about very often. I've never heard a lot of messages preached about this, but this is the part that's very, very key. And if you think about it, we can't live a resurrected life if we don't understand our death. You can't live a new life if you're continuing to live your old life. You have to have this understanding that, that our old self died with Christ. Okay, so what does that mean? Okay, so I always like to think practically. I don't like to think of just things as head knowledge. I want it to be practical in our life. So what does this mean? Well, when we look at what does this mean, we have to think about and ask the question, what is Romans 6, 6 talking about when he says that our old self was crucified? We see that in Galatians 2.20 as well. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's one that I've memorized in the past. But what in the world does that mean? I no longer live. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. What does that mean? What does that mean practically? What is actually dying? Okay. In order to understand this, we need to understand the difference between sin and sins. Okay, so I have another uh, little outline here. There's a difference between sins, plural, and sin, singular, in the Bible. Okay, you may have never heard about this. Okay, but there's a distinction between sins, plural, which is the act of sin that we commit, and sin, singular, which is our sin nature, the old self that we see in Romans 6, 6, that produces the sin. It's very important we understand this difference, right? You need to understand that there's the acts that we commit, the sins, but there's also a sin, singular, that the Bible talks about that is our sin nature, okay? Why is this important? It's important for several reasons. You need to see that the sins, plural, is what we focus on, right? That's where we focus on the acts that we commit, the sins that we do. But really, those sins come from our nature, our identity, our who we are, okay? And we have to get this clear because it's not the way that we think, okay? Let me give you an example, okay? Let me ask you a question. Does sinning make you a sinner? Does sinning, does committing sin, make you a sinner? What would you say? True or false? Does sinning make you a sinner? I think everyone would say yes. That's not true. Sinning does not make you a sinner. That's saying that the fruit really determines the tree. The tree determines the fruit. Jesus says, by your fruit you will know what kind of tree you are. The good fruit, the good tree produces good fruit. The bad tree produces bad fruit. You have to see that our identity is the thing that produces our actions. Who we are produces what we do. That's not usually the way we think. 
Just like in the example that we gave, we think that because we sin, that makes us a sinner. But if you understand what the Bible says, we are born depraved, that we are born with a sinful nature. What does that mean? Before you committed any sin, you're already a sinner. You're like, how does that work? How am I already a sinner before I get to do any sin? That doesn't seem fair, right? But it's the reality. Our sin nature was marred because of Adam. Adam, when he committed sin, before he that, he had no sin. But after Adam and Eve committed sin in the garden, ever since that, our nature has been marred, right? If the way I like to picture it is like you're drawing water from this kind of this uh, bucket, but all the water got contaminated. It got contaminated with all the dirt and all this stuff like sin. And every time you draw from it, you're drawing from a dirty bucket. So every person that came from Adam, all of his lineage got passed on, drawing from a dirty bucket, right? So in essence, you're starting out that way. That's why the Bible says that we are born sinners, okay, before we commit any sin. So when we look at the idea, does committing sin make me a sinner? Or do I commit sin because I'm a sinner? It's the difference. You have to understand the difference. The tree is the one that produces the fruit, not the other way around, okay? Our identity, who we are, produces what we do. It's not the other way. It's not the things that we do determine our identity, but that's the way we think. We think that the things that we do determine our identity. Let me give you another analogy. This is an analogy that I uh, read in a book called Normal Christian Life. It's one that I has really got to use to really kind of transform my thinking in this whole way. And in this book, they give an analogy of sins and sin. So sins is like alcohol, okay, and something you want to get rid of, okay? Sin, singular, is like an alcohol factory, okay? It's two different things. So there's an alcohol factory that produces sin, our alcohol. Okay, so let me let's let's show this video that kind of gives a little demonstration of that. Suppose that our government decided that they had a problem with alcoholism, which drastically needed to be dealt with, and decided that the whole country was to go dry. In order to enforce this decision, they decided to search every shop and house throughout the land and smash all the bottles of alcohol they came across. After time, they realized that this did not resolve the issue as they had hoped. They had recognized that the bottles were not the only problem because the factories that produced the bottles were still active. As quickly as bottles were being destroyed, they were being produced. As the government realized that their initial plan was not effective, they decided on a better solution to get to the root of the problem. Shut down the factories that are producing the alcohol. Initially, this plan worked as no more alcohol was being produced and the problem seemed to be circumvented. However, a new issue arose. Without drink available, people became thirsty. As a quick turnaround solution to this new problem, the government converted the old alcohol factories into life-giving water factories. As the government was admiring the big change that the country had undergone 
where the people were now enjoying water and productivity. They followed up with testing to confirm their results. As they had gone through the results, they found that in small cases, there were still some bottles of alcohol being produced from the water factories. The government was baffled by these results. If we have these new water factories in place of the old alcohol factories, why is there still some alcohol being produced? The government dug further to find that the ground that the new water factories were built on had contaminated boulders from the previous factories that had been producing alcohol, thus creating an occasional bottle of alcohol. Exhausted from the large effort that they had already put into this, the government decided that it would be best to eliminate the contaminated boulders from the ground rather than build all new factories, therefore taking care of the problem so that they cannot arise again. As the government removed one boulder at a time, the less and less bottles of alcohol appeared. Okay, as you can see from that little video, there's two problems that we have. One is the alcohol or the sins, plural. Those are the actions that we commit on a day-to-day -day basis. But really what we really see is those are just the symptoms. The real root of the problem is our core of who we are and our identity. That's where everything flows from. That's why it's not good enough that Jesus' death just took care of sins. It has to take care of sin, the singular has to take care of our nature. And we have to understand that there's a difference and there's a right way to flow. Just like when we were talking about the mind, body, and spirit, about the right flow, that it could go from the spirit leading the soul to lead the body and not the other way. This is kind of similar to that. You have to let your identity drive your actions and who you are. And that's really important because it's the difference between saying, I did something bad and I am bad. Do you know there's a big difference between that? I did something shameful, and I am shameful. When you have a false connection between what you do and who you are, you're going to come up with these statements that are really actually very harmful. If we think that who, what we do determines who we are, instead of God determining who we are and that affecting what we do, then we're going to come up with statements like that. We're going to look at our actions. We're going to look at our sin, and we're going to determine that we're sinners. You know, when you look through the Bible, um, and you look at the word saint, which is what the, the Bible, the New Testament, uses to refer to uh, believers. How many, do you know how many times the Bible refers to uh, believers as saints? 67 times. Okay, the Bible refers to believers as saints 67 times. How many times does the Bible refer to us as sinners? Zero. Zero. Never. The Bible only refers to unbelievers as sinners because they still have the old nature. It hasn't died with Christ. But for the believer, Romans 6, 6, your old self, the sin, your old sin nature died with Christ. We have to understand this. Because if we don't, we're not going to live a victorious life. We're going to be constantly feel defeated. We're not going to have the power to live a resurrected life if we don't understand this. And so we're going to continue talking about this. But let me, let me look at this. Let's look at the same diagram and to realize Christ took care of both issues. 
right? When we look at Christ's death and the substitution that he's done, that Christ died instead of us, that took care of all the sins, all the actions. He paid the penalty for all the sins that we've committed, past, present, and future. They were all paid for by Christ's death on the cross. Every single instance of every action of all the sins that we've committed were paid for by Jesus on the cross at his death. He was paid. He paid the complete penalty for our sins, all their actions. But he also took care of our sin problem, right? The singular sin. Okay, we need to recognize he took care of that like we saw in Romans 6, 6. My, that we have been crucified. Our old self was crucified together with Christ. Okay, so why is this important? I think at first of it is important because I think there's a common misperception. We don't have two natures. One, our old nature, who we used to be before Jesus, before knowing God, before having a relationship with God, we had one nature. It was the sin nature, right? After you become a Christian, that nature was crucified together with Christ. Now you have a new nature, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation you have a new creation you're a new creation you have a new identity okay that is our new identity in christ that's really important because i think a lot of times we mix them together okay and i heard this if you've gone to church a while you've probably heard the same analogy and there's a lot of different variations but basically this story about like there's two dogs okay there's a white dog and a black dog Okay, and this white dog and this black dog, they're fighting. And the, and the preacher would ask, who's going to win the fight? Who's going to win the fight between the black dog and the white dog? And the preacher would say, the one you feed the most. Right? And it's basically talking about inside. There's an internal battle within you. There's the good, and then there's the bad. There's a sin nature, and then there's a true nature. Right? And that they're in battle with each other. And he's saying, who's going to win that battle, that internal battle that you have? Who's going to win? Whoever you feed the most, feed your good nature. Don't feed your bad nature. And that was kind of like the whole point of the illustration, right? That's not true. We don't have two natures inside of us that are battling. We have the righteousness of Christ. We are in Christ. We have a new nature. We have to understand that our old nature was taken care of at the cross. If you don't understand that, you'll never live the resurrected life. You're going to continue to live this battle life between your old life and your new life. It's not a battle that's happening in between. But you might say, what about Romans chapter 7? What about when Paul says, all the things that I want to do, I don't do. And all the things I don't want to do, I do those things. And the struggle that he's talking about, I think he's talking about when he's living his old life. When he was as a Jew, he understood the right things to do, but he had no power to do it. So he struggled. And I think we're going to experience the same struggle if we re don't realize this truth. The good news, and this is good news about the gospel, is that our old nature has died. 
The old nature that was independent. The old nature who was an orphan without a heavenly father. The old nature who is separated from God, who has no Holy Spirit living inside. That person has died. Your old nature has died. We have to understand this truth before we go into our new life. Our new nature that's full of the Holy Spirit, full of the fruit of the Spirit, full of fullness and life. We're not going to experience that if we don't understand that our old life has gone. Now, this is kind of hard to conceptualize. It's kind of hard to, to picture this. And so when we think about this, I think it's going to take some initial like, okay, wait a minute. Let me think about that to be true. But as we go along, hopefully things will start getting into place. Hopefully things will start appearing and, and becoming more clear about how this actually operates. So let me give, just give you an example. In Romans 6, 6, it's talked about our old self being crucified so that we would be no longer slaves to sin. And so the question I, a lot of people would have is, okay, so if my old nature is gone and I have a new nature, then how come I still sin? That's a, that's a legitimate question. How come I keep struggling with sin? And I think one of the reasons is why is because we don't understand this truth. We still think we have an old nature. A sinful nature. So what is the most natural thing to do if you feel like you have a sinful nature? What's the most natural thing to do? It's the sin. If you believe you're a sinner, then what's the most natural thing for you to do? It's to sin, right? You don't, you have to realize that when you think about yourself that way, when you view yourself that way, that the enemy is going to come and to condemn you. When you sin, he's going to say what? Look at you. You're a hypocrite. You're not a saint. You're a sinner. Look at all your life. Look at how you disobey God. Look at how you don't do the things he wants you to do. Look at all the things that you do that he doesn't want you to do. Look at all the things that the Bible says you shouldn't do. You're doing all of those things. You're not doing the things he wants. Can you see that there's going to be a problem if we don't, are not clear that we don't have an old nature any longer, that that old self is not true anymore? Can you see how much, when you look at your life and all those things, how the enemy can keep reinforcing, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. When I just shared, how many times does the Bible refer to us as sinners? Zero. Where is that coming from? It's coming from first a false belief that what we do determines who we are instead of the other way around. Who we are determines what we're going to do. You have to get straight about who you are. You have to get straight about your identity. Who are you? After you become a Christian, who are you? We talked about who we're not. We're not our old self anymore. We no longer have the sin nature. We no longer have that. We are, we are in Christ. We are a new creation. We are the righteousness of God. We are saints. Those are descriptions of our new nature. Okay, so when we understand this, this is really the power for us. That's where the power to not sin comes from, is when we have the right understanding about who we are. When we understand who we are, that's where the power comes from. And we've talked about this before. How do we battle sin? How, we, how do we battle negative things, negative emotions, negative things? Do we try to battle it directly or do we try to exchange it? Okay, we talked about this several times already. This is the same 
thing that's going on here. When we have sin in our life, how do we overcome it? Do we overcome sin by trying not to sin? If that worked, I would be pretty sinless because I work really, really hard to not sin. That's not where the victory comes from. Our victory comes from our new identity. Our new identity, our new nature, us being in Christ, us having the righteousness of Christ, that's what produces the good fruit. Can you see? If you have sin, there's two ways. You can try to keep battling it and battling it and battling it and battling it. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Keep battling it all day long, 24-7. Keep battling it. That's what he wants you to do because he knows Christ already won the victory over sin and death in the grave. He can't do anything about that. So his only alternative is to get you to not believe that. It's not finished. When Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, it's really not finished. You need to keep working. Sin is, still reigns in you. You have to keep battling it. You have to keep tackling it. You have to keep trying not to do it. That's what the enemy is going to keep speaking to you. And we keep agreeing with it. You're right. I have to keep working on it. I have to keep trying harder. I have to, in my flesh, make effort to keep not sinning again. Does that work? How many of, how many of you have had that work? Even the most disciplined person still realizes at some point, I'm tired. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of continuing to strive. I'm tired of continuing to try to battle and have this internal struggle inside. I'm tired of all of that battling and conflict that I feel inside. God's, God's answer, stop battling. I already won that battle. Why are you trying to win it again? I believe that's the message for us today. It's like, why are you trying to win a battle that Christ already won at the cross? He already has victory over that. What he wants you to do is start believing who your new nature is and start living out of that. We spend so much time trying to battle our old nature, which is already dead. Why do you want to try to battle something that's already dead? It doesn't make any sense. Why would you try to battle that? He's saying, spend all of your time not focusing on that, but realizing that God replaced it. God gave you a new nature and start believing your new nature. Start believing the truth about who you are. Start believing that you are the righteousness of Christ, that you are saints, that you are a royal priesthood. Start believing it. If you don't believe it, it's not going to change your actions. It's not going to change your thinking. It's not going to change how you look at yourself. You're going to continually condemn yourself. You're going to continue to let the enemy condemn yourself. You're not going to experience Romans 8.1, which says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. have to get this clear we can't live the resurrected life if we don't realize that our old life is dead buried and gone can't can't we have to realize that being included in christ's death is the biggest gift we could ever and it's kind of kind of weird or odd to say that our death is a great gift but it is his death and our inclusion in his death is a great gift that that old life, the life that we really don't want, that's an orphan, that's by themselves, that's so lost, that's so fearful, that person has died. And then God has given us a new life, a new identity, a new place 
in Christ a resurrected life. And that's the life that we want to seek after in this series. So we're going to start today by thinking about the death, and we'll probably keep talking about it because it's still relevant. But that's where we want to go in this series and experiencing our true life, the life that we're supposed to live, the life that Christ died in order to give us. So let's pray. So Father, we thank you for the, the gift of Jesus. We thank you that you bore it all. You bore our sins, plural, and you bore our sin, singular, with you. You really did everything necessary for us to experience the resurrected life. And so we want to open up our hearts and to say thank you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate our minds. Help us to understand this truth. Help us to realize the gravity and powerful truth of the gospel. Help us to experience this and to know this so we can live the kind of life you created us for. So thank you that it's all possible because of Jesus. Pray all of these things in your name. Amen.